Disclaimer for this week's podcast, we recorded before Wednesday's vote in confidence in Theresa May, so please excuse all the 48 letters jokes, and I uh, hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> Let's cut that. Let's cut that. Let's cut that. Let's cut that. Posterity. Posterity for the podcast. Just, oh, oh. Some do the introduction this week, just be me going, Let's cut that. Let's cut that. <laughs> strong and stable for the many. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Memes Breakfast with myself Salman Anwar and George Aylett. Follow me on Twitter at George Aylett and at underscore Salman Anwar. And is there someone else we need to introduce? Oh, there's someone else this week. It is Ben Gartside. Hello. You can find him in. a lot of places, The Spectator, uh, The Eye, plug yourself. New Statesman, uh, LinkedIn. If you're not going to plug yourself, yeah. you're going to plug anybody else. LinkedIn, uh, BuzzFeed, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Gartside. Um, so we've so the mean for vote. She lost, didn't she? What mean she, for no, vote? She, she won. She won by two hundred votes. Ha! Satire. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> well, like like Salman Anwar, it was pulled on Monday night. <laughs> no, Nothing that's happened what on I Monday call night. <laughs> Nothing has changed. No, it was um, the meaningful vote has been <laughs> delayed. Um, was it till the till January? Apparently until until twenty first of January. Twenty first January twenty nineteen. Um, I think honestly. I think this joke of a government just gets more embarrassing by the day. Every single day, it just didn't surprise me that something worse happens. I just don't understand, from from a tactical point of view, why she has done this. It just looks that bad. She's delaying the inevitable. It's, it's very confusing, because in terms of the vote being delayed to January, it's what a lot of people presume, but at the same time, they've... Uh, They've had to check up with at least one MP I know who's booked a holiday from the 17th of December being like, you're going on that holiday for a week. Um, and I won't say which MP it was, but uh, this will be the second time we track their plane. Um, how, how many people watch Pretty Patel? Was that like over 20,000? <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was great numbers. I, I think it was... Multiples of this podcast. Um, I was in, in a meeting at the time, and uh, someone from the university came over to me and said, Are you tracking the plane too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but there is a free line whip for Thursday, I'm not sure in regards to what, but uh, let, let's see, I don't think the fireworks are quite over yet. <laughs> well, it's all kicking off. I think, I think it's, it's this deal. Is anything substantial could change before January 21st, 2019? And EU today have just said, no, nothing is going to change. The backstop remains. Um, like Literally, there is going to be no room for renegotiation. So I don't understand I mean, what she's doing. The whole, the whole idea is that it's not going to be renegotiation, but it's going to be added text that's legally binding. But what does that mean? More text. More, yeah. And I, I, it isn't... It's not going to persuade the likes of Andrea Jenkins. I mean, she already said today on Politics Live that she's not going to... That wouldn't persuade her. Mm. Um, I just don't see how they're going to get the votes through either way. So they've... Um, so someone mentioned that they had two chances to get the vote, the deal through. This, they've already kind of lost their first chance with, with, with by withdrawing it. 
can they yeah. get it through in the second chance? They're delaying the they're delaying the inevitable. I think the deal is going to lose either way. It's just how big it's going to lose by. I think you would need a really substantial chunk of Labour MPs to vote for it because if you if you look as a whipping operation and you go, am I more likely to get Gareth Snell or Andrew Jenkin or Tom Perslove or one of these? like very strong Eurosceptic MPs, it makes much more sense to work on the Labour MPs. However, there seems to be very little receptiveness so far. I think it's only Ian Austin and Caroline Flynn that said they'd consider voting for the deal. And the resoluteness of Labour is quite interesting. I, I, I think if you would have said in the, the wallows of 2016 to George Aylan, the Tory party's about to split in half on an EU vote whilst... Labour is going to go through the lobby near United. I think it would have been quite a surprising development. Knowing that Jeremy Corbyn could become Prime Minister by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, fantastic. Well, but I think one of the reasons why she has done it for January, closer to March 2019, yeah. is the idea that if it does not pass, she will th- her threat of no deal or no Brexit more real, is yeah. going to be more real. So I think. Do you think, that, do you think there's a real risk of then Labour split, uh, not splitting, but... Some, some more Labour MPs actually voting for the deal, if that's the case. I think maybe, but I don't think as many. I think it still will be less than 10. I don't think it'll be that many. But when this Brexit deal fails, and if the DUP do swing their support, and I think that is the time to table the motion of no confidence uh, against the government, because I think uh, it's the moment where they cannot command the support of Parliament, and I think it will be time for change. And I think the country will demand change as well. So I think we're waiting to see. campaign we, rally, George. We've got people saying right now, put down the vote of no confidence right away. You know, it, it's going to achieve something. No, it won't. We just need the DUP on board because the parliamentary but, ribbon... But how are you favour. going to get the DUP on board unless the deal passes? Because they've said the deal fails, they'll vote mm. with the government. So Well, I think it'll be up to the DUP because I think... Many I mean, yeah, but the DUP have said... Salma, I think it'll be one of those things where they would prefer a Labour government without the backstop than a Conservative government with the backstop. So I think we'll wait and but see if, what happens. If the deal fails, there isn't a backstop. There'll be no deal. Exactly. So they've got nothing to, to gain by backing Labour. But at least have a Brexit plan. And at least have one without a backstop with a customs union. So I think they'd rather take that yeah. than a no I mean, deal. That's not what the DP have said themselves. So. I think it would be quite... What I find quite interesting is the fact of you now getting quite extreme Brexiteers, Boris Johnson, people to the right of Boris Johnson going, plan for no deal, plan for no deal, plan for no deal. And the government's unwillingness to seems to... Be trying to narrow down that line of no deal, no Brexit, or the deal to the deal or no Brexit. And it, it's an interesting situation in the fact of that probably won't win you over many ERG supporters. Yeah. Like, it'll get you Michael Fallon, it'll get you Tracy Crouch, it'll get you Damien Collins, basically the people, the unionist Conservative MPs. However, I, I really don't see how you're going to get Suella Braverman and Steve Baker walking through the lobby on the threat of no deal. They're not scared of no deal if, anyway, are they? And you're going to be simultaneously using, losing MPs like Stephen Doughty and the Remain Labour MPs who'll go, it's, it's, no, it's no Brexit or the deal. It's a, it's a yeah. foregone conclusion. How, how do we proceed from here then? I mean, if we're already thinking that she'll lose... Oh, general election. Oh, general election. But I say that because... <laughs> I say that because... Because you really, really want to. One, I think, if Theresa May's trying to get this deal through Parliament, she needs the will of Parliament and a fresh mandate from the people. 
I think it will be rejected by the people in a new mandate for a new government, a new prime minister, and a new party to lead, fingers crossed. But I think we'll wait and see, and we need to talk about the domestic issues and austerity, etc., because yeah, that yeah. was the cause but of Brexit in the first place. I, I, I think people need to remember... Yeah. I think there's a real worry mm. that there could be a situation where the government survived in a confidence vote, but then how do we have a general election? Mm. Like, will MPs vote for a general election? Are we just stuck in this more than zombie government. I mean, the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act has truly been, I think, the biggest piece of legislation in the past 10 years, maybe. Even bigger than the deal on the referendum, because it, what it's essentially meant is that nothing in this country happens. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's, it's one of those things. So a second referendum as well, the Electoral Commission have said you need six months from the moment you want to introduce a referendum to the point where the referendum is delivered. We leave the EU in 15 weeks. Now, a general election, the last general election, was called and held, all the legislation passed through Parliament, and for, for the vote to happen. That happened within 52 days. I think that is the only tenable option if we are to actually get a Brexit deal through Parliament, because we need a fresh mandate to do it. I think excuses would be made in terms of a referendum, as in the EU is uh, not high on fans in Britain at the moment, and I think if the British Parliament voted for something in order to try and fix a very shoddy situation and they turned around and went, no, this takes too long. There would be an extension. I think past that, it would be not only have to be a binding vote, even if it was 10 votes that decided, it would have to immediately start being legislated for and other things. Le legislation being prepared in advance, you'd probably have to see some adaptations of PERDA. And it would just be a, it'd be a big mess, but I do think that when push comes to shove, a referendum could happen. Although I do, I do still find it utterly bizarre that more Remainer MPs aren't campaigning for Norway or campaigning yeah, yeah. for an alternative because um, I think you are really risking it all. We had this really weird situation, didn't we? Um, I can't remember last week, this week, all the weeks merged into one, <laughs> whether uh, where, uh, the people's vote were trashing Norway. And it's weird and yeah. confusing. When, when they were, for a time, open Britain, champion Norway. <laughs> it's such a weird... A weird situation we're in. And today they've actually said, uh, you know, there should be a motion of no confidence against the government right now. I think for many who back Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party, I think, you know, it just, it just makes it look like they care about this issue more than any... A lot of people have nothing to do with the Labour Party, and then they're pressuring Jeremy Corbyn to put down a motion of confidence that they, 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 they know it will lose, and it will give the opportunity for the Conservatives to unite around Theresa May and her Brexit deal. Why do that? I think they're the worst... Tactical. Uh, I think it's probably the worst tactical decision since Theresa May actually called that general election and led a campaign which focused on a presidential candidate when she's not a presidential candidate. I mean, you don't have to candidate. be for Labour to be anti-Conservative mm. government. I'm not sure that's an argument. But the, the, but the people's vote should not be advocating that Labour put on a motion of no confidence when I they know it's not going to pass. I mean, they've been doing similar things to Conservatives, and I think, like, if you look at their campaigns, like, I think. They've, they've learnt that they overstepped the line with uh, the Jeremy Corbyn thing at uh, Labour Line. Oh my goodness. They they've learnt that they've overstepped the line and I think the, the mood has shifted because I did a big piece on them over the summer and there was a lot of, not hostility, but pain from a lot of Labour members there about how things were going. And I think whilst things have shifted, it, it is still there a bit residually and... What I, I do find interesting is the shadowing of the welfare vote 
under Harriet Harman, mm. where Labour's position, I think, it is defendable to say that there's no point of tabling one now, we wouldn't win one, we're going to wait until we know we have the numbers. However, it's very similar to Harriet Harman going, we're going to abstain on the motion until committee, try and get the changes we want, and then vote, vote it through or vote it down. And then I, I believe they ended up voting it. Through, did they? Well, the welfare board, the second yeah. reading uh, we abstained on, and that was uh, obviously a very vocal talking point mm. in, the set, mm. uh, in the first leadership contest. I was there at Labour Live when that happened. That massive banner, and you had people who weren't involved in Labour also holding up that banner. It was just, and they were doing something. I mean, all were Labour. They, all they were, yeah. And to be fair, I, I was tempted to, to get a ticket to see Clean Bandit. It was really good, <laughs> Labour Live. It was really but, good. But no, they held up the sign and going, stop backing I mean, did you, did you, it. And then the whole crowd shut the tactics of the people's vote campaign. I what mean, if we do have a second referendum, I don't think it'll be because of the people's vote campaign. No. I think it'll be in spite of the people's vote campaign because who was, who was advising them? Well, that's the thing it's as well. With the second referendum, we still don't know what will be on the ballot paper. Yeah, that's, we still don't that's know. a key issue. And if there is, the Tories are obviously going to try and wreck it and go, um, it's going to be between Theresa May's deal and no deal, which I think is... Absolutely wrong. I, I, I don't think it'll get, get through Parliament. How I also don't think it remains to be on the ballot paper, which I, I, I think that would be bad for democracy. So I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I think Ian Dale said um, that there should be. What's Ian Dale? I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, two stage referendum where you have leave and remain, and then you have, um, if leave win, you have um, a second. Uh, you have no deal versus main deal. Um, <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, it kind of keeps everyone happy. No, because if that was the case, and it's not a stitch up, it's not perceived as a stitch up like. If it was May's deal versus No Deal, that's a choice between if, a bad deal. If Lee and a no, no, it's a choice between a bad deal for the country or a No Deal for the country, and I think that would be an absolute disgrace for democracy. And I think you don't like I the would hope, doesn't, I would doesn't hope. No, I would spoil my ballot for that. I think I would. Well, and I mean, I you're think, free to. And I, I would hope that the Labour Party would also advocate a spoiling ballot under that referendum, because that's a disaster for democracy, if that ever happened. I would hope that we would lead the way and say, Britain deserves better than a bad deal. No I mean, one, one thing that Corbyn mentioned uh, when Mayor gave the statement that she's not putting a, uh, the deal to a vote, that he said, uh, EU leaders won't renegotiate. But yet Labour thinks they can renegotiate. Because if there's a new government, I think they would be open for that. If there's a new government with a fresh mandate from so the people they, I mean, to make changes. You, you mentioned uh, Theresa May's been going around yeah, Europe. And they've all said, we're, we're keeping the backstop, no ifs, no buts. Conservative government. But, but they'll, they'll roll over to Corbyn. Salmon, Conservative government, Theresa May's still the Prime Minister, nothing has changed, right? Nothing you're has just, changed. You're just, you're just if there's a, le- to me, if there's a new, if there's a Come new, on. wait, Salman, if there's a new government, I'm waiting. New, if there's a new government and a new prime minister. I think it would be open to some leeway room there, to some leeway there. Even if there was some <coughs> negotiation, I've done inverted commas for those not in the room now. Um, the thing about the whole process is that the EU has constitutional red lines, which are not only impossible to break, but they're impossible to amend because you need to get 27 countries on side. And it, it, it's impossible for a deal that doesn't look and sound and taste like this one to get anywhere near the government. I think you've, I've, there are essentially four likelihoods. There's Remain, there is a deal with a backstop similar to this one where there will be no solution and we will end up in the backstop. 
there is single market and customs union. I'm not sure what exact confederation, but there is a, a one where we are so closely aligned to the EU, there is no need for a backstop and there is no deal. And I don't think there is any... There, there are four strands and it's very hard to vary between them. I think you could get some changes on state aid. I think there could be some changes around that. However... I don't. I don't see at what point it becomes in the EU's interest for them to play along, especially now with the ECJ ruling. Not not just for the uh, ramifications on Britain, if Britain can revoke the ECJ, but let's say they come up with a deal and they try and force Spain into it. There's something around Gibraltar or something around borders, or there's a. I know there's a lot of British exports to go to Netherlands, and that's jeopardised or something like that. A country will just put in its own Article 50, because now it's ir- independently revocable. You'll get loads of countries just threatening to pull the entire process together. And if they have enough economic clout, if they can ensure they'll say, oh, we won't pay into the budget anymore, oh, all of this, all of that. It's very easy for people to hold the EU hostage. And whilst there's been a lot of war gaming about, oh, what happens if Orban or Salvini do this... If there is anything that upsets Spain to an nth degree, is there anything that upsets Germany or other nations that have border issues, then there will be no way in hell that this will, any renegotiation will have any real effect. I think, I think the only way Labour could maybe say we won't have a deal with, with no backstop would be if they went for the customs union rather than a customs union. Because I don't know how the uniqueness of the a customs union and I know you, you like to mention A, not the Customs Union. I don't mm. know how A Customs Union would interact with the Customs Union. Mm. Um, I, I, I just think that the EU would still pressure the UK for a backstop on that, unless we go for, I mean, s- some, uh, some more Remainer um, Tories like, uh, uh, floating this Norway Plus, which is well, uh, Norway, so in the single market, plus Customs Union. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's um, my understanding. Which, which would uh, would get rid of the backstop? Yeah, yeah, I think it's EFTA and EEA. So there's been a. I know yeah, George yeah. Freeman's been talking about EFTA, which wouldn't remove the backstop. Nick Bowles, Nick Bowles, credit to him. Uh, he said EFTA. Uh, George Piri, who I think is quite senior within the F, uh, within the organisation, I'm not sure his exact role, came back and said this is wrong. Bowles, unlike most MPs recently, actually listened to him, took it into account, changed his proposals accordingly. Um, I'd just say that in terms of the EU stuff, it's so hard to get through. I'd recommend following uh, Bridget Fowler and uh, Sam Lowe of CER on Twitter because they're the only reasons I could pretend to vaguely understand this whilst I was in the staff role covering politics. Whoa, I think, yeah, this Brexit deal, um, this Brexit deal could lead to a vote of no confidence. And once we're on vote of no confidence, breaking news, uh, <laughs> breaking news, he's received over 48 million <laughs> letters. <laughs> That's the green that is, uh, for Theresa May to go. So, there are talks again that Theresa May has received the 48 letters to trigger a vote of no confidence in her within the Conservative Party. Where are the letters, Salman and Ben? Where are they? Where are they? We've been waiting for so long. I, I mean, she's, she's out of the country right now, isn't she? Yeah. Um, it would have echoes of Thatcher, which would be <laughs> good for the banter heuristic. Only <laughs> I th- we've been here before. This is deja vu from a few weeks ago. 
Who knows? I don't, I don't understand if you're an MP why you would put in a letter now. I, I don't understand the logic of seeing a deal come from a mile off, like even Dominic, uh, even David Davis and Boris Johnson saw it coming. They've seen this transition, and what pushes you over the edge is your delay in voting against it, which you're going to do anyway. Like the the issue is is that the people who are very anti the deal know that every day they don't do no deal preparation the more likely it is that they will have to swallow this deal and that's very good in getting Steve Baker and Sola Brofman and Andrea Jenkin on side that's not too good at getting Remain MPs who are generally worried about losing their seat on side because there was, I spoke to a Boris Johnson ally this summer and he said something that stuck with me and that you can get as many levers as you want. However, the people you need to persuade are the Ben Bradley-esque people, as in newish MPs who have majorities of less than 5,000, and you've got to say to them, not only will we have a Brexit plan, because they don't really want to talk about Brexit, no one wins elections on Europe. You need to go and discuss the financial benefits and the economic benefits and the social benefits to your constituents of general Conservative policy. But you need to basically go, the, the next leader will be a better campaigner than May. And with Sajid Javid, I don't see that. With Andrea Ledsam, I don't see that. Salman's sulking. Um, <laughs> we could on to that later on. <laughs> yeah, I don't see anyone, really, apart from Boris and potentially David Davis, who could be that campaigner. However, I also don't see a way in hell that they'd get a Brexit deal through. So you're, it's really stuck in between the rock and the hard place. Yeah, no, I, I think it's just, it's not for me, as uh, somebody who's not a member of the Conservatives, to say what the Tories should do next. But I just don't get <laughs> and it. And yet you do. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see the point. It seems a bit pointless because, well, personally, I don't mind it because if it does happen, Theresa May wins. She's going to be leader for another year. She can't be challenged for another year. Fingers crossed within that time there's a motion of no confidence against the government and she takes the Tory party into the next election. Because I think Jeremy Corbyn I mean, has to definitely be got far, a good chance. Interest, interestingly enough, winning. Um, <coughs> a, Sky, a Sky poll today saying that uh, 40 45%, 45%, there we are, um, 45% of, Labour, uh, of the public think the country would be more chaos with the Labour in power. 36% say it be more stable with Labour. more than 36. And 13% say it will be exactly the same. So 46 <laughs> think it will be <laughs> the same so or more stable. George 45 less stable. It'll only be yeah, as bad as now the biggest endorsement you can get. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think it's just we've got to make that argument. Um, this is why we need United campaign. for Change. <laughs> United for Change, New Zealanders uh, party, oh no. But no, I think it's one of those things. I think we've got to wait for the election campaign. I think both parties will put their visions of the country. And I think Jeremy Corbyn, he's somebody who's stuck with his principles since he was first elected as an MP. He would do it as Prime Minister we, we, as well. we, can, we can go on to this later on with one of our questions. Yes. Um, but the 40, 48 letters, I, I, I just can't see any other candidate uniting the party uh, the way it made us. I mean, people may not like me. Um, I'm not the biggest fan, but... She, you know, she still garners some respect, mm. some support from Remainers in the party and uh, leaders in the party. If Boris became uh, leader and PM, you have at least 20 MPs saying they'll leave the party. 
Um, what about Jeffrey Cox's oratory? Just his oratory, nothing else. <laughs> the best thing that's been going for Theresa May in a way is that because this whole culture war within the Conservatives yeah, has been happening, she bar two or three others who aren't very popular anyway, you're talking Gavin Williamson, Julian Smith and Brandon Lewis, it's one of the three people that's basically had to tell all of her outriders to shut up, get in line and stop causing fights, which means that if you uh, criticise Boris Johnson to the wrong people, you'll get 50 enemies. If you make an, if Amber Rudd makes an off comment, 50 people are going for it. If Boris does, you've got 100 tweets from Tory MPs. It means that those who are in a position where they could feasibly, where they're not hated by at least half of the party, they're not popular enough because they are essentially loyalists to May. Like, I never thought you'd say Chris Grayling, who's already faced one vote of no confidence, is one of the better positioned MPs in the party in terms of having annoyed the least people. But it's, it's just a bizarre world where, ironically, I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of Remain Tory MPs would have been pulling out of their letters desperately. And you've got to a weird horse-flogging stage where... If, let's say, you're a leadership candidate who resigned on the first set of resignations, you're Boris or Didi, if Dominic Raab, when Dominic Raab resigned, and there is a new face of Brexiteer within, when Dominic Raab and Esther went, would you have pulled your letters out? Would you have removed your letters and gone, look, we could get rid of May here, but who knows if I'll be at the top table? Because it is of such significant importance to about one third of the Conservative Party on the EU, where unless they get their exact vision, they're going to cause trouble. It is just unforeseeable how you can build a coalition that isn't essentially May's first cabinet already. As in, you have to have a Hammond, a Raab, a Johnson, a middle of the road person like Hunt. <laughs> where you essentially get to the status quo. Yeah, yeah. Or you need many deselections, many by-elections, many. I mean, yeah, you're right. All, all the neutral people are already in cabinet. I just, I can't see, I can't see where, when May goes before Brexit, that the party's more united than it is right now. I want more division within the Conservative Party. It's great. I love seeing it. I mean, you <laughs> probably had a lot of joy watching 2016. It was, you know, heartbreaking for myself. 2016. But here's the payback. The Labour Party. I, I, uh, 2016 was the worst year for me. Maybe you had great 2016. joy. You had great joy watching the Labour Party eat itself together. After just losing the referendum. Of the summer of 2016, watching. Free Labour front benches send letters every 20 minutes uploaded to twitter.com. So sad. Wonderful time, high well, time of politics. I mean, that coup actually led to a leadership <laughs> challenge. Um, what's happening with the ERG? They got 60 members <laughs> encouraging. Still haven't got the 48 letters in. But no, it's in. it was just ridiculous, that 2016 election, and uh, obviously Corbyn won with a bigger mandate. But no, it's interesting to watch the Conservatives do the same. Um, and... Uh, Fingers crossed the division continues. The ERG's internal divisions are bizarre. Like, for a group of people that are as closely aligned as you can get that group of MPs to be, as in, they all dislike this deal, they all think... Even even with MPs that dislike no deal within the ERG, they probably still back a ERG-led Brexit over the Theresa May one. However, it is riven with 
division. I was speaking to one senior Tory advisor for an interview a while ago, and they told me that the best thing that ever could have happened to Theresa May was Steve Baker being fired. Because Ian Duncan Smith was happily running the ERG for nine months. Steve Baker, the, the returning king, comes. And they essentially have a fight. Nice, yeah, yeah. And brief, and brief against each other. And I wouldn't be surprised we saw today if there was a threat from a senior ERG source saying, oh, we'll release the 48 names that we yeah. think are putting publicly. Baker immediately comes out, tweets that it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it's just those two consistently trying to outflank each other. And I mean, the ELG's membership is consistently overstated. There are a lot of MPs who would be considered loyalists under almost any description, still members of the ELG. And it, it's, just a, it, it's just a bizarre thing within the Tories where there, there seem to be some members who are consistently both ERG and TRG. Yeah, you yeah, have, yeah. I've seen, you yeah. have people in uh, Simon Hart's group, uh, the uh, Brexit delivery group, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which are pro Maze deal, and then they're simultaneously member of Nick Bowles' secret <laughs> after group, and some of the and there's loads of crossover, and uh, it's 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 just very but yeah, I I can understand why Julian Smith's having such a tough time whipping. <laughs> Speaking of whipping, <laughs> I thought I'm going with getting whipped in London. <laughs> oh no. There was, a, there was a new poll out today um, <laughs> suggesting Sean Bailey going backwards in London um, yeah. and uh, Sadiq Khan goes into the mayoral elections in 2020 with a substantial lead. Yeah, it's an 11 point increase on the 2016 vote. Uh, that's pretty impressive, actually. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I think Sadiq Khan's doing an okay job. It's an okay job. Yeah, okay job, yeah. I Any think more half assed endorsements? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's good to see Labour in power. Sadiq Khan, he's, he's done well. Obviously, he seems to be doing very well, according to the public there. 11 point increase. And let him get on with it. Just carry on. Sean Bailey's not a challenge, really. I mean, I, I, I think it's fine. What, is it, what are the Tories polling on? 28%, is it? Or yeah. 38% or something like no, that? No, no, it's in the 20 Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, the Lib I mean, Dems doing so badly is incredibly interesting. What are they polling on? They're polling 4%. <laughs> Oh, wow. The best thing about this, or the worst if you're a Lib Dem, I think the most interesting thing about this, I'm obviously non-partisan in every regard, so I don't have any opinions. Um, I devolved them both to George and Salman equally. Um, but Siobhan Benita, their candidate, stood as an independent, I believe, in 2012. She's currently, yeah, she's currently doing worse than she did in 2012. When the Lib Dem, like when centrism was still as unpopular as it was is today, and she had no formal party machinery behind her, and now she has the, depending how you count it, third or fifth biggest party in the UK, and it's it's interesting in the fact of if they're getting four percent, unless they've got very well targeted thing within t- two seats, which would be ironic for a party that supports a national PR list. <laughs> but you've got to question, is Vince Cable going to win his seat if he stands again? Is, uh, are Lib Dems now out of it in Richmond? Tim Farron as well. How, uh, do you mean Tom Brook? 
No, Tim Farron, he's only got more jobs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was Comrade thinking... Comrade's a long way from London. Yeah, I was going to say, that, <laughs> that is zone 12. I thought we were talking about the popularity of the Lib Dems. It's just, just embarrassing. But, but even worse in, in London than it is nationally. Yeah, yeah. But to refer to the candidate in... The, the, in London, I forgot her name. Uh, Siobhan Denise. Um, she's not been uh, the candidate for, for a long, has she? No, no, I don't think so. So, um, But, yeah, I more seat losses, seemingly, yeah. on the horizon. And I think that's one of the underrated things in terms of the mayor election, as in, granted Labour didn't do as well as they'd hoped in the recent London council elections. Obviously, they still did very well. But they didn't do as well as they'd hoped. If you are thinking that you can win on that level... This is what happened in Manchester when the Greater Manchester mayoral election happened. Essentially targeted Manchester Central, which is where by-election was going on at the same time. Got loads of activists there, there for the mayoral campaign, essentially. But there, go and campaign. You can have, you'll have Labour essentially targeting in the, mayor, in the London-wide mayoral election a couple of seats they'll target uh, Ching, is it? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, the Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Duncan Smith's seat, then a couple of others. I can't. Who, where else would Labour be targeting in London? Uxbridge. Ux, Uxbridge, yeah. Uh, Barnet and though and a uh, bit of North London there. And it could be. It could get even worse somehow. Putney, Putney, yeah. Justine Greening. Yes, um, it's interesting. I think it's. Somehow yeah. the fall for Labour going forward into, let's say it's 2022 election, going forward into 2022 election is even better than 2017, even though 2017 was an incredibly good fall for seats in London. And if, if you're the Tories, it's A, can you get, a rid, can you get away with damage limitations? B, how obviously can you get away with damage limitations? Because... You might have George Osborne as the editor of the Evening Standard. However, if you are if you are campaigning in uh, in Duncan Smith seats and Justin Greening's seat, it will be it will be embarrassing, and it will be a story throughout the campaign of no matter how bad the Tories are doing, they can do worse. I mean, you mentioned culture wars within the Tory party. I mean, 2017 saw totally different like social divisions. Really, uh, London going. So red, it's yeah. unbelievable. Um, we were winning seats, um, some in the Midlands, um, the other t- uh, swings towards the Tories in the northeast. Just four seats. Just four seats uh, the Tories gave them. No, 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 I, I was going to say, I don't, in the Midlands, I don't, I'm not Midlands and South Scotland going increasingly Tory. I, I'm just talking about where um, they're doing incredibly well in London. Yeah. Um, and whoever the, uh, the Tory candidate in London was. We're all we're, go- we're always going to have a mm-hmm. a tough uphill battle, but Sean Bailey just he doesn't just doesn't do it for me. It's going to say with those parliamentary seats as well. You kept them having forty three percent of the vote, the highest share of the I vote. I don't care about the parliamentary seats. You're talking about London. They have <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, parliamentary <laughs> seats in London. And you kept those seats despite having forty three percent of the vote nationally, highest since nineteen eighty three. Tories have not polled over 43% since 2017. They've been within the margin of area on 40%, of course, but I think it's really interesting. I think, no, I, think I think it's going to be really interesting. Boris Johnson's seat swinging would but, be phenomenal. Phenomenal. But on, on Sean Burley himself... Yeah, he's gone. I just, we had three candidates. They were all... And you selected guys. the best ones. The, the voters to Sean Bailey. Yeet. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do find it interesting that it, it really said that the writing was on the wall when I think one MP applied, might have been two. It was um, the Havering MP. Rosendale, Andrew Rosendale. Oh God, yeah. It was. It, I think it was just Rosendale because I remember. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and because um, my adversity, not adversity, adversity. Was thinking of applying. Yeah. Justin Greening was thinking of applying. Um, and then Rosendale. Yeah, no, because <laughs> very different from them two. Very different. I remember my editor. I saw it on uh, Twitter, and my editor at the time, Adam Bienkov. Uh, Legend of the City Hall beat has covered London a lot. Maybe it's close in this, uh, this show. He, he's really. I'm, I'm looking at my friends. Um, but uh, he made his career basically covering Boris Johnson's City Hall. As soon as I said, oh, an MP stood for uh, Tory mayor election, he went, oh, who? Expecting to like have to do some actual proper hard digging journalism. I said, Andrew Rosendon, who just started laughing. Because it was. It is really a, a really sad indictment that the Tories couldn't get a MP to stand yeah. for, a, a, a senior MP to stand for the mayor election when a senior Labour MP went to go and be Sadiq's vice <laughs> mayor. Yeah. It is, uh, it's a problem there that I don't see changing soon. I mean, to be fair, I mean, the writing was on the wall all along with how, with how red Labour, uh, London went. Mm. Um, it, Boris State are over. Um, this is Florence the Machine's new follow-up song, The Boris Case. Well, I was just looking at like how actually the Greens run 7%, another candidate 6%, and the Lib Dems 4%. I mean, just... <laughs> um, isn't the Lib Dems... Isn't that brand? Another candidate. <laughs> <Not> another one! <laughs> but that is just, yeah, that is... Um, I think it'll be interesting to see... The Greens are doing interestingly well in London. Really? I think... Yeah. I mean, obviously, comparative to the UK, if you compare them to the German Greens, then they're still doing bad. The group... But, um... <laughs> Brexit with George Ayler. <laughs> but the, the fact of... Sean Berry, I think, is their candidate. Yeah. Um, they seem to be building her a brand there. I think... Next election, could we see another Brighton? I think if things go well, you might be able to see a green candidate getting in London. I'm not sure what, what seat. They targeted Holborn and St Pancras very heavily a few years ago. If, if Keir Starmer has to vote through Brexit, I could see... I mean, I really doubt he will have to vote through Brexit, but if he does, I think there could be an opening for the Greens there. We could... Two greens, too furious. <laughs> Leavers will only <laughs> Leavers will only make up thirty three percent of their parliamentary <laughs> greens. Two electric blue <laughs> greens, the party that backed a referendum that came out for a second referendum. Very odd. <laughs> oh, the Green Party! But there we are. There we are. So, question. Question. We have one big question this week. We have a meaty Which question. is definitely by choice. You guys definitely decided we, that you're just going to do one question. It's we, not because you didn't get any other ones. We've got a breaking from Dan Hodges. <laughs> oh, God, okay. He says 48 letters are in his latest. The second Tory minister saying the names are in. 48 letters. But Dan Hodges, the man whose great predictions are in The thing is, if you did know that explosive amount of information, you would, you would send it to Dan. Just because it's like Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> is it? So questions. 
There's a question. The one I'd like to Reece. hear this for the first time. <laughs> so we have a question here from Reese Hayes, at Reese W. Hayes, a famous Hull alumni there. Not alumni, he's still studying it. Still studying it, sorry, Reese. Just in Westman's Sadness in his eyes. Bollied. Should we go for a third time? That's all right. Is it? If there was a leadership contest for your respective parties tomorrow, who would you back and why? Salmon, who would you back as Conservative Party leader? Who is the person to unite your party and win for you? Two different questions. Unite the party. <laughs> no one. <laughs> Rob, maybe. Alan Mack. Alan Mack. Why not Alan Mack? He would unite the party, just not in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dream candidate would be Savage Javid. Um. <laughs> Call momentum neo-fascist. Oh, that, is the, that is the least. He's in charge of banning fascist organisations. I know he mentioned it on our first podcast, but come on. Yeah, it, was a, it was the point of which I turned off. <laughs> it, it was interesting to see. Um, recently, I'm not sure which newspaper it is. Uh, it was in. Uh, but uh, it had led some Javid thing. Is no, no that, that is interesting. Um, apparently, Javid, um, when Medil was going to fall, he'd come out um, and with uh, try and get a group together. Him, Ledsom, um, some others. I'm not sure who the others were again. Um, to come together and to form this group, um, a leadership team. Um, he has um, Christmas drinks with Ledsom apparently scheduled. Oh uh, yeah, I'd say with the Javid Ledsom stuff. That's as close to true as I could guess. Like, as in, journalists I trust very much on both Team Javid and Team Ledsom have confirmed this. Uh, and with in regards to Saudi Javid coming up with a team, I think part of the reason that the vote was probably pulled is because doom was impending. In the fact of, I know at least one other cabinet minister was having talks about meeting with senior Brexiteers were planned for the Monday of the vote. And the, there were at least, I would have bet, two or three other resignations that would have happened yeah. before. Because if you look, there are still some ministers that haven't publicly supported the deal. There are three or four. I mean, where's Penny? Where, where's she gone? That's, that's <laughs> the one I was hinting at. I would be, Penny has not said anything. No Penny for her thoughts. Um, <laughs> I'm editing that out. because <laughs> <laughs> no, you hear all these jokes on podcasts afterwards. Someone goes, I'm editing that out. <laughs> um, look, Penny Morden, I really can't see supporting the deal. I think the, there's, there's bound to be three or four other junior ministers, if only doing it for political opportunism. Um, but the, the, there is a massive issue in the yeah. Tories of there will be at least... I think if May goes on her own terms, there will be a lot of candidates. Yeah, a yeah. lot of candidates. Mm -hmm. If May is cool, I think a couple of people will. I mean, you can't. Fall I, into I can't see a Romana uh, being in contention if May goes before Brexit. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, one will stand out of in order to because I think the big issue yeah. for Remainers, and if you discount Philip Hammond as a Remainer, is in people who are vocally yeah. Remain is that there was no vocally Remain candidate, or vocally even EFTA or Norway, after the referendum. 
it essentially meant that they had to give Liam Fox a position after getting, what, seven votes in the first round? Yeah, yeah. They had to buy him off politically, but they didn't have to buy off Nicky Morgan. Didn't have to buy off Rudd. It didn't give Rudd her own political platform. They didn't have to yeah. buy off uh, Simon Hart, or not Simon Hart because he's not remained, but Simon uh, Lee. No, not Simon Lee, Philip <laughs> Lee. Simon Lee's one of our lecturers. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to buy off Philip Lee. They didn't have to buy off even someone with no platform, really. They, they didn't have to buy anyone off. They didn't have that share of the market. Whilst Ledsom had to be given a position, Fox had to be given a position. So there will be a lot of people standing, I think. Yeah. If there's a coup, it'll be slightly different, but... Uh, well, yeah. uh, it was YouGov um, that had approval rating for the next PM. Mm. Javid came out on top. At minus 18. At minus 18. <laughs> but, but interestingly, I think Javid, Davis and Rob had the, had the most don't know about them. So I normally know who they are. Sorry, Rob. No one has you are. Gove <laughs> minus 45. But yeah, uh, Gove, Gove, Hunt, uh, Boris, people, people already know who they are and already have an opinion of them. Javid, Davis and Rob. Uh, ja Javid is my dream. Um, PM, dream PM. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, oh. With Lynn with Trust as Chancellor. Oh. Um, two remainers can't be pre-Brexit. Um, and that saddens me a lot. I think I don't want I don't want Lester as Chancellor. I'll take her. I don't want her. <laughs> I think what's interesting about the approval ratings is that because nobody has good ones, not even nobody has bad ones. They ever have really bad ones, or people don't know that they dislike them. Yeah. I think is a fair <laughs> characterisation. Maybe is that. I mean, to be fair, people liked me until they didn't like him. Yeah, no, people disliked Corbyn until they didn't like him. <laughs> they really disliked Corbyn until they just disliked him. Um, but I think, for, for example, Michael Gove, someone who people have disagreed with, is still remembered for the education reforms, yeah. but he's widely considered as the most competent cabinet member. Yeah, yeah. He's someone who di is disliked for his efficiency. Chris Grayling is disliked for his inefficiency. Yeah. Gove has a position to move up from that. Grayling doesn't. I, really. I just think that Gove, he's been justice, he's been chief whip, um, environment. People don't remember him as um, education minister, uh, yeah. education tech. And I, re I remember my first Tory <laughs> conference, uh, 2013. It was, it was the first year where you couldn't do January A levels. And we normally get general studies out of the way in January. Um, and I was, was in that phase where I could get a uh, selfie with old old cabinet. So I could have just walked by and I thought, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> my January exam's ruined by Michael Cole. Well, still about the Conservatives' leadership. Coros Kensel is saying that ERG sources, a confident 48 letters have been reached to. Another journalist is Ross saying Kemp. this. Ross Kempsell. Ross Kempsell. Sorry. It's not radio. Um, so that's another journalist. Ross is very nice. I don't think he's quite the action man. <laughs> <Sam is American. laughs> Ross Kemp has been Baghdad. Ross Kemp for Tory leader. Leader. And Iachim. <laughs> what, Steve Hilton for Tory leader? Um, no, I think it's, it's interesting because they're obviously briefing quite a lot now. I mean, it's not independent people like... It will depend. I don't think they will hit the 48 if they do. It'll be interesting because there was a lot of talk last time when we presumed the 48 was inevitable of if you are 
Hey. He's paying a lot of attention to me, as you can tell. Um, uh, if, if you're a Tory MP that dislikes May, and you know you have to put up with her for a year otherwise, how, how much effort would it take to push Sergeant Jarvis over the top? How much effort would yeah, it take yeah. to push a lot of MPs over the top? It seems to be a weird situation where no one wants to hold the knife, even though it's anonymous, and no one will know <laughs> if you've put a letter in yeah. unless you're Andrew Bridgen and tweet about it every day. I mean, Dean Doris put a letter in and no one wants to be the MP that puts a 14th letter in. You don't really put it in. <laughs> I, I, do, I do actually think it's like a stopped clock. Nadine Doris is right twice a day. And that, that's a good example of no one wants to be the MP that causes the downfall because as, as much as people are annoyed. Yeah. And every MP has someone that they would definitely prefer not to take over. Because there isn't one candidate, you have a thing where, other, other than ERG hardliners, where they know they could probably vote down the deal at any point because of the size of their parliamentary block, if you are a moderate, and someone from the ERG comes that you dislike, but you also dislike May's deal, you at least know you can be reasonable with May, and also that May doesn't have the political clout to really push back. She has to be open to all sides. She's been meeting pretty much anyone on the benches at the moment. Philip Davis was given an opportunity to publicly berate the whip in the whip's office. There's never been so much power for backbenchers within politics, I think. Speaking of backbenchers... Oh, I'm sorry, sorry like, two things very quickly. Two things very quickly. Breaking um, news. Ross Kempsell has followed up by saying, Senior Brexiteer tonight, it will be over by Christmas. And the, the thing that just happened, so I do like a second every single day. Yeah. So you were one of my seconds of the day, Ben. Uh, oh, still thank good. you very much. Um, and that will be published at the end of the year. So I just do a second every single day and uh, recording my year. It's been so, my year. so, George, yeah. who's your favourite MP <laughs> to take over? Sure, sure. Um, so, <laughs> so firstly, I think it's got to be mentioned that there was a challenge against Jeremy Corbyn. Not only would he win big, I think you'd win That's that's significantly bigger. Yeah, I love it when people answer questions you don't ask. Just very quickly. There's two things happening here. Firstly, is if Jeremy stood down tomorrow. No, no, hold on. If, if, Jeremy, <laughs> if something happened to Jeremy tomorrow, like he stood down tomorrow, he just said, no, I can't do this anymore, I don't want to do it anymore. Um, is it about the immediate successor and the long-term successor? So if something's happened, <clears throat> something happened to Jeremy tomorrow, I think the immediate successor could be John McDonnell. I think you, it makes sense to be the immediate successor, completely in line. Shadow Chancellor's done a fantastic job and he would be great as the uh, Isn't the immediate leader. successor the deputy... Yeah, no, well, well, obviously the deputy would be, but I think John uh, McDonnell... In interim. Yeah, interim, but John McDonnell was the immediate successor. No, but long-term, right, yeah. long if um, you know, there's a lot of talent in the Labour Party, lots of future leaders there. I think Dawn Butler, Kate Ozemore, yeah, Lord Lidcock, yeah. I think three of them are uh, fantastic candidates. I was going to say, name a couple, you know, three. <laughs> Kate Ozemore. Yeah. After everything that has happened, and I think her apology today was um, very much welcomed, and I think she's a very talented MP. She's a qualified MP. To recap, she's a qualified MP. What happened with her? Um, a journalist from the top. This is this is relevant, George. Uh, George is looking. Uh, no, no, no. It's, it's, I think she's a very qualified parliamentarian. She's apologised for her outburst. And uh, I think, yeah. Let's quantify that outburst, shall we? She threatened to hit a journalist with a baseball yeah, bat, threw a bucket of water over him, and swore at him multiple times whilst he was doing his job, which all could have been avoided yes. 
if her office had said, we will not be issuing a contract. I mean, to be fair to her, I don't think, I don't think that was specified. It could have, it could have been... No, no, it was bad. Oh. It just didn't specify what type of bat. Yeah, it was yeah. an argument it, it could have been a bat, cricket bat, bat, softball. No. And she's apologised for that. How many days later? It was a moment of... George, it was a bad I... moment. And I think, you know, she's a very qualified parliamentarian. She's got fantastic policy. She's got a fantastic vision. She could definitely do the job of leader. And I think having one moment in your life where you deeply regret, as she has done today, I don't think that should go against you for the rest of your life. I think we can apologise and redeem I, and no, move on. I, I do agree that people can apologise yeah. and move on. How many days is it since the incident occurred? It's at least a week. It's been at least a week, I think, longer. And I think there is a question of yeah, how, yeah. how honest is your apology if you're waiting two weeks to give it? Has she reached out to the reporter that she... I don't know. I think there is a question about legitimacy. She needs to cool off a bit. You, I mean, you well, did, you did, uh, you did uh, a future leader, yeah. not an immediate uh, leader, but... No one should be some time in the background. No one should be. I mean, I mean and this isn't in disrespect to the International Development <laughs> Office. I love International Development. 0.7% of GDP. Great, love it. She was only shadow international development. Right? So she's a very qualified. So, no, no, but I mean, she still had. And as we know, when, she it still had when it comes to the leadership of the Labour Party, policies matter. She still had some way to go. Matters. Yeah, um, the vision matters. And I'm, I'm not sure what vision she had in international development. But she starts to work again in the uh, shadow cabinet, I think. But I think when it comes to the Labour Party, when it comes to the Labour Party, you don't necessarily need to be top up. I mean, to be fair, yeah. yeah, Jeremy Corbyn was a backbencher for over 30 years, 32 years, uh, when he became leader of the Labour Party. I don't think you need necessarily. I think you just need to have the right vision, right policies, and I think Butler, uh, Ozemore, and Pidcock. Pidcock, they all have. Wouldn't like it talking right now. How would you quantify a qualified parliamentarian? Just because uh, this isn't a din- disingenuous question, in the yeah, fact that how do you she has been in Parliament since, I believe, 2015? I think it's 2015. I'll double-check. No, I, I, th- I think it was... You feel free to correct me if double I'm check. wrong, but I think it was 2015 because okay. it was the first all-BME shortlist. OK, right. Uh, and it was under Miliband. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the most contested shortlist ever. There was 700 people that applied, I think, if I remember correctly. Wow. Um, but... She's been in Parliament since 2015. Has, I, I, I presume, I, I don't know when she was initially promoted. I f- think it was the second reshuffle. So 2016 she was promoted. She spent one year on the back benches before two years on the front bench, which has been cut in half by an election. Would you consider that qualified? Yeah. I think and if so, how... how how is uh, an MP? Who was the latest MP to get elected via a by-election? Um, Trivia question here. <laughs> what was the last by-election? Anyway, like, it's some shit. Ben, composite MP for latest by-election. What would make them not a qualified parliamentarian? No, would make they would make Kate. It's very arbitrary, isn't it? But I think it's all about when it comes to leading the, the party. It is about the vision that you can offer and that you can unite around. I think the party would unite around a vision that, you know, which is Corbynite, which is left-wing, essentially. Kate Ozemore, Laura Pidcock and Dawn Butler all fall into that tradition. I think they would all do a great job in the future. So I'm not calling for a leadership contest now. I don't think there should be. I think Corbyn should carry on for as long as possible. And, um, in- interestingly, again, not a, not a goading question. Do you think Dawn Butler would qualify as Corbynite? 
I think she would offer the same. I don't see how it would be radically different from the 2017 manifesto. No, I, I agree with that because I think... Who did she back? She backed oh, Burnham. She was a Burnham supporter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Which was about Emily Thornberry and that Cooper now is a... I don't think there would be, I don't be substantial differences from the 2017 manifesto. Obviously, you've got to look long-term beyond that because I think the 2017 uh, manifesto is a stepping stone towards a more radical plan afterwards. Um, but I think Butler, Ozemore, Pidcock could definitely build on that. John McDonald definitely would build on that. And who, do you, who do you think would win? Because I don't think any of those candidates would win. I think they all would. I think they all qualified. I think they all could do the no, job. I, I, I agree, agree they, they all qualified. I, mean, I agree they Hillary. She would qualify and she didn't win either. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. She would qualify and didn't win either. Didn't have the right so. policies. Now, on to our favourite segment, Nationalisation of the Week. Because I want to nationalise something every week. George. What is your nationalisation of the week? My nationalisation of the week, I think, has got to be Gala Bingo in Hull. <laughs> niche. Niche. One, because when you do bingo, you like to dab. Um, oh, that was nice. <laughs> and I found out fun facts about uh, Gala Bingo in Hull. It's basically... <laughs> is this sponsored, George? <laughs> we are, if you want to sponsor this podcast... They open <laughs> Saturday Sponsored evening. by Squarespace and Gala Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're not sponsored by anyone, by the way. But if you do want to sponsor, please do. We need the money. Um, At BNB Pod. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gala Bingo Hole is on Osler Road, which is right next to Leningrad Street. I think it's an omen. I think it's ready. It's ready for <laughs> nationalisation. We're going to make bingo affordable again. Bingo with the bing, bingo and beer. <laughs> beer and bingo. <laughs> Maybe the bread and circuses of our age. <laughs> but as the leading lights of the coalition rush forth. <laughs> well, that's niche. That is niche. Well, maybe Boris Johnson can learn something because it's the closest he's going to get to number 10. Hey! Anyway, hey! Salmon Anwar. <laughs> What's your nationalisation of the week? So, just a reminder, he's nationalising something because he loves nationalisation. I want to save it, yeah. I want to nationalise something to destroy it. <laughs> Ooh, um, sorry, I just cut in. Alex Wickham has said that a senior government source says they expect a confidence vote imminently. And that is quite big because he's not usually one to be like, oh my God, the ERG have 7,000 letters. So <laughs> Naughty. This is going to be interesting. Jesus wow. Christ. Well, ah. are you going to nationalise Theresa May then? <laughs> <laughs> Nation, nationalise the Royal Mail. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your nationalisation? So my nationalisation this week is American Roads. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was me doing. <laughs> Go on. Uh, so recently I went to the US. Um, oh, Jesus. There's so many little things I, I despise about the US. <clears throat> uh, many, many little things. One major thing. Trump's hands. <laughs> I love banter. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> We're moving upon to the comedy section <laughs> of our <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so many streets just have one set of pavement on the road. So you have to walk in the middle of the road if you want to walk on one side of the, the, the road. Why? So, some, some houses go up in twos and down in fours. Wow. There are no buses. I can get. I can bus from my house. 
Why did I tickle me? Because <laughs> you're a seven-year-old child. I can get the book <laughs> from my house straight, straight to anywhere in Hull instantly. Mm. I, while I was in Virginia, I had to, I had to drive. Well, I had to get someone to drive me everywhere. Oh goodness! It's I, I don't know. I I can't drive, George. <laughs> it's terrible. terrible. Um, I should post boxes. They're like. 900 miles away from the houses. 900. You can't put um, campaign literature into the uh, mailboxes. You have, to, you have to put them under the doormat. Is that the one? Are the, those are the mailboxes crazy. we put up yeah. a flag. Yeah, and then yeah. anyone can open them. <laughs> As you can just walk, walk by and steal someone else's mail. I think that's it's a crime, Salmon. So you should hand yourself in to Virginia Police and <laughs> It's just. I thought I could live in the US before I went to the US. Then I went to the US and nah. I, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things. Um, so nationalising yeah. American roads. Yeah. Ben, what is your nationalisation of the week? So my nationalisation of the week is very topical. Um, I would nationalise uh, referencing styles at Hull <laughs> University <laughs> Union, considering one of my lecturers has decided to do a completely different style. And it's really ruining my What's evening. That? He's just like, oh no, let's do Harvard for banter, even though we have an established footnote referencing style at mm. the University of Hull 103th, 103th, <laughs> Hull University 103th. You should see your president of education, the Hull University Union, about that. Now. Last one was useless, so I don't really know if it's worth doing that. <laughs> Side note, Salman Anwar was our last VP <laughs> education. So, this, so it's been a pleasure, Ben, this week. It's been a pleasure, thank you very much. Um, so, thanks for listening in again. Thank you very much, Ben. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, George. <laughs> it took me a while to uh, come out there. No, it's been a pleasure. As always, you're more than welcome back on the show. You can follow Ben Gartside at Ben Gartside. <laughs> you can follow George at, at George Aylip. You can follow Salmon at, at underscore Salmon Anwar. Beautiful. So, um, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. That was breakfast. Means? Breakfast. Oh god, I'm still recording. What? <laughs>